The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us now, my former boss, former Secretary of State, and Democratic nominee for President of the United States, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is here. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I was quoting you because you you tried to warn us. <laughs> you tried really hard. I did. I did, Zerlina. I did. And you know, it's hard for people though to imagine the unimaginable. Can can you even imagine when we were in the midst of that 2016 campaign and you were working so hard for what we were trying to achieve that we would have had our capital attacked. We would have had the husband of the Speaker of the House attacked. We would have candidates laughing uh, about, you know, what happened on January 6th and what happened to Paul Pelosi. I mean, it's truly hard to accept. So I think the reality of what we have seen in the years since 2016 uh, is just piling up in front of us, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I'm telling you, we had plenty of brainstorms in Brooklyn headquarters and none of them were the intersecting dystopia that we are currently living in. Um, They were our imaginations could not picture anything like we are currently living through. Um, But you, in a lot of ways, as I just um, played an audio clip from your Reno speech and, and quoted it there, in a lot of ways, you did see um, some of the things that even um, we as staffers couldn't. And in in your speeches, when you look back at them now, um, they're so prescient. Um, One of the questions that I have for you, and you mentioned Paul Pelosi, I, I saw a recent interview with your daughter, Chelsea, and she said that there was always a whisper of violence around you and your family ever since the early days going back to Arkansas. So in a lot of ways, you're the perfect person in this moment to speak to how violent and extreme rhetoric targeting people in a personal way can can lead to real world consequences. We're now post-insurrection. None of this is hypothetical. Do you Mm -hmm. think, you know, violent rhetoric and hate speech is contributing to this real world violence? And who is to blame for that? How do we stop it? Well, I do think it's contributing. Um, and I do think the people who should be held responsible um, are those people who traffic in it uh, for political, personal, financial gain. 
uh, people who, um, as you can recall from the 2016 campaign, like Donald Trump standing in front of big crowds, mm -hmm. you know, saying, uh, punch the guy, grab the guy, hit him, you know, I don't care, or lock her up, and, you know, all the stuff that we heard coming out of his uh, mouth. Well, now it's just been multiplying because uh, people on the right, um, primarily, uh, believe that uh, it's um, useful, politically useful, to keep feeding that. I also think social media has um, amplified it, put it on steroids, uh, if you will. Uh, there's so much um, you know, violent rhetoric on all kinds of uh, media platforms mm -hmm. today. And again, uh, th that attracts an audience. Uh, and I, I remember with the crazy, you know, insane Pizzagate thing, yep. you know, it prompted some guy in North Carolina to get his automatic weapon and drive to Washington to liberate the non-existent children in the non-existent basement of the pizza restaurant. Somebody um, should be held responsible for that. Uh, it, you know, we, we obviously value free speech, but free speech, which is meant to incite or is really almost uh, indifferent to whether it does or not because mm -hmm. uh, they don't think they can be held accountable. Um, has just unfortunately gone to an extreme. You mentioned social media. Elon Musk owns Twitter. Donald Trump might come back to Twitter. He was banned because of uh, the insurrection. But Elon Musk obviously seems like he's going to let him back. Are you going to quit? What happens if he comes back? <laughs> oh, I don't think I'll quit, um, at least for that reason. Um you know, I, I think that uh, it's it's not easy, but we have to be present in these, um, you know, e echo, echo chambers, uh, these information ecosystems in order to um, compete in the marketplace of ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not easy. And, you know, I, I don't think people who incite violence uh, should be uh, allowed on to privately owned media platforms, um, but we'll see how that unfolds. You've also described some of the rhetoric we've heard, especially in the aftermath um, of the attack on Paul Pelosi, as really a threat to the heart of our democracy. We're in the middle of early voting, where we have a midterm election uh, day on Tuesday. We have election deniers running, um, which I feel like is almost a watered-down term to describe what is happening. But how do you think we marginalize voices like that? Um, is it just voting or is it voting and something else? How do we get to a place where the folks that you're talking about that traffic in these conspiracy theories and spread these lies, how do we marginalize them from our political discourse so they don't have such a damaging impact? I think, first of all, we have to win. I mean, when I, I urge people to vote, I think they view voting as something nice to do, but not essential for themselves and their own interests. And now I would argue, I don't care what your interests are. <laughs> you have a real need to get out and protect them. Um, and that is uh, first and foremost through voting. We have to defeat them. They keep being rewarded, Zerlina. I mean, they get rewarded for 
you know, the horrible things they say, uh, the conspiracies they spout, the support for insurrection, they just keep getting rewarded. And we have to show that that's not going to be uh, permitted in a democracy. We're going to stand against that. And it isn't easy uh, because of the way things have been redistricted and mm -hmm. gerrymandered. There's not very many competitive House seats anymore, um, but we have to keep trying. And mm -hmm. I truly believe that if people who listen to you and people who voted for me and people who care about you know, having a, a society that functions well and provides opportunity for everybody turned out and vote, we would win every time. I think we are the majority. In fact, I know we are. In poll after poll, name the issue, whether, you know, it's abortion or climate change, whatever it might be, a majority of Americans want to do something about it or want to protect it, however the question is posed. And yet they don't turn out and vote. And uh, I can't tell you the number of people that <laughs> came up to me after the 26th election crying because they hadn't voted because they didn't think I needed them. Well, you know, you should vote in every election. And that's our first line of defense. Well, you did get more votes than Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, I did. I just I always like to remind people of that. When people say like, you know, all these people support Donald Trump. I'm like, well, you know, more people supported Hillary Clinton. I just like to point it out. Just throw that in there. That fact, that number, like numbers. And you know, we, you know, it's really it's a struggle. We know it's a struggle. And and I, and I want to thank you for for coming to our big summit in December yes. and helping to you know, be one of the MCs because it's about women's votes and women's voices and women's rights. Um, and we have to remind ourselves of the struggle that got us to where we are, the women's movement, the civil rights movement, the gay rights movement. You know, we, we have to remind ourselves mm -hmm. that power does not give up power willingly. You mm -hmm. have to win it. And the ballot box and passing laws. I mean, that's all part of the way it's supposed to happen in a democracy. So I'm thrilled you're going to be coming to our, our summit at the Clinton Presidential Center in Little Rock, because I think we have to remind ourselves that yes. it's not, you know, there, there are no permanent victories or defeats in politics. You have to keep fighting for what's right. And uh, I, I think we all can use a, you know, kind of a, a dose of energy about that. I definitely can use a dose of energy, and I'm so excited <laughs> to be joining you all. Um, you mentioned the women's movement, and we're living now in a post-Dobbs America, post-Roe America. Abortion mm -hmm. has now been um, you know, banned by the Supreme Court. States with trigger laws have banned it um, in their states. It feels, though, like it's a bigger conversation than simply, where do you stand on abortion rights? It's really mm -hmm. about, you know, the the place women have in our society do you believe that they are people <laughs> that are mm -hmm. equal mm -hmm. <laughs> um and you know should be able to plan out and self-determine their lives or do you not believe that That's um, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um or do you not believe that um so so you know you as somebody the first woman trying to become the leader of our country i mean how do you assess and how do you think we should and can navigate this post-Dobbs America. I think you summarized it so well, Zerlina. And 
I agree completely. You know, there is pushback going on around the world against women's rights. Look what's happening in Iran when mm -hmm. these brave young girls, and they started off being quite young, <laughs> yep. you know, young teenagers, you know, just said enough, we're not gonna live under this oppression and took off a symbol of that, which was the forced hijab. You know, if you choose it, that's one thing. If it's forced on you, no, that's mm -hmm. something that runs against your agency, your autonomy, your rights. So it's happening in so many uh, places, including in our own country. And I think it's important for people to understand, as you so smartly said, the reversal of Roe v. Wade was a reversal of the right to privacy because that's what the decision really stood on. And why was that important? Because it uh, is very clear. If you look at uh, Clarence Thomas's uh, concurring opinion, uh, there are those who don't like the idea of uh, contraceptions, be contraception being available to women mm -hmm. to, you know, have some control over our own reproductive futures. Uh, they certainly don't like uh, the advent of gay marriage. Um, well, you have to argue interracial marriage, the same kind mm -hmm. of uh, decision that no longer has constitutional protection rooted in the idea that whatever form of government uh, we created when this country started, we certainly recognized a zone of privacy. And that should be inherent uh, within um, our founding documents. So honestly, I think women um, should be well aware uh, that uh, this is um, a, a loud alarm that is ringing because it is not just about abortion. It's about health care for women. You know, I just tweeted about a case of a, a woman in Missouri who, you know, had um, who was pregnant, had um, a, a real uh, health problem mm -hmm. uh, that meant that uh, she needed emergency care, went to her local hospital. They would not treat her. She literally had to drive to seek uh, life-saving care in uh, Illinois across the Mississippi River. Yep. I mean, this is crazy. Right. And it's crazy um, because why in the 21st century are we allowing local politicians who are predominantly male um, making decisions about women's health care? Well, because they intend to make decisions about all kinds of issues that have open the doors of opportunity uh, for women. I mean, you know, Me Too was so yesterday. You know, right now is all about, you know, asserting control. And we have leaders who are, you know, in the authoritarian mold at the local, state, and national level mm -hmm. who are waging culture wars to try to reverse and limit the rights that people have won over the last, you know, 50 to 100 years. I feel like we're living in a backlash to the Me Too movement. I feel like um, we're living in a backlash to President Obama. I feel like we're living in a backlash to the racial reckoning of 2020. There, there are so many uh, reactions folks are having um, to your uh, nomination to be president. The fact right. that we could even have a woman president. Do you think mm -hmm. we will have a woman president? You're going to be with the vice presidents uh, later yes, today. I am. I when am. when do I... you think we can have a woman president? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I hope sooner instead of later. But yeah. I was very, um, you know, disappointed that none of the women on our side running in 2020 won a primary or won a caucus. Uh, 
So I, it's going to be hard. Let's not mm-hmm. kid ourselves. And I just don't want some woman with whom I profoundly disagree on the other side of the aisle getting there first. <laughs> so <laughs> someone who wants to uphold all the restrictions on women right. except for her. <laughs> right, right, except for her. She got there, but let's close yeah. the door for everybody else. You know, nobody else is here, just me. I get to be That's here, right. the only one. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, you think of, I mean, that woman running for governor of Arizona who laughed about Paul Pelosi being attacked. I don't want her anywhere near power. <laughs> Never. I, I, it, it is a really, really important point. Anybody who could laugh at a horrific situation like that, that's not somebody I want in charge of, like, I didn't, the, the 7-Eleven, much less yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, um, Secretary Hillary Clinton, former Democratic nominee for president and my former boss, and I will see you in December um, where we will be in the space um, focusing on the women's movement, women's voices at the Women's Summit at the Clinton Center. I'm so um, happy to be joining you for that. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you, Zerlina. And I'm so proud of you. Can I say that? Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to send a wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, dear. Take care. Bye bye. You too. Stay safe. You we're going to take we're going to take a very quick break. And then we're going to be back with a few more minutes of mornings with Zerlina. I'm going to like take, try to calm myself down. We'll be right back after this break. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday. 